Hello and welcome to Probably Platelets, a podcast where we have a chat with platelet researchers to get to know them, find out more about their career journey and laugh about some of their mistakes. And you never know, we'll probably talk about platelets. The aim of this podcast is to humanise and debunk myths about scientists, as well as build trust with the general public. Let's not forget scientists are people too, and there's much more to us than the work that we do. I hope you enjoy. We're your hosts, Beth. I'm a PhD student from Leeds. And I'm Daniel, a PhD student from the University of Reading. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Jones, an associate professor from Manchester Metropolitan University. Sarah is also involved in a variety of public engagement activities, and we have an entire episode dedicated to all things public engagement. So stay tuned for that. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi, Daniel and Beth. Hi. <laughs> Delighted to be here. Good. Well, thank you for, for joining us. So I think we're just going to just jump straight in and would you be able to tell the people listening a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? You don't have to go into a huge amount of detail, but just like a brief overview and then we can take it from there. So, yes, so as Daniel said, I'm an um, um, associate professor at Manchester Metropolitan University. Um, so I was recently promoted. Um, prior to that, I was senior lecturer here uh, for about eight years now, which has gone incredibly fast. Um, so... Uh, I, I, I've got quite a heavy teaching load, so I teach on uh, a variety of courses, um, some which are really great, so clinical um, kind of haematology and, and obviously a lot of related uh, teaching, so related to platelets, um, and then also teach on some of the undergraduate courses, so that's actually really good for, um, it really kind of helps me diversify a little bit, sometimes when you do research you kind of get very narrow don't you into your specific mm-hmm. area and it's helped me to broaden out again into kind of platelets in different types of diseases that I teach on such as renal disease um so yeah so part of my time is teaching and then obviously I'm a researcher here um so I have uh, a couple of PhD students who are fantastic um and hopefully I've got a, a we're advertising for a postdoc at the minute so we'll hopefully have a postdoc starting in the next uh, month or so mm-hmm. Uh, So kind of mostly my research is, um, I've been in the platelet field for a long time, so platelets, but but more recently I'm really interested in kind of platelet and endothelial cell crosstalk. So how the health of the endothelium kind of increases your risk of thrombosis and how changes to endothelial function alter platelet function uh, in different diseases. So as part of that, we're doing quite a lot of work on models. So trying to um, develop new models, endothelialized models, and then I've got um, a recent grant, which is to try and develop kind of a human thrombosis model using blood vessels from placentas. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that's really that's cool. cool. How, how are those models working out for you? Uh, so really good. So um, we just need to publish them now, really. So um, it, it's always hard to kind of draw a line because there's always so much you can keep doing, isn't there? Yeah. So yeah. Um, Amelia at Drysdale, who's just finished a PhD, um, she's just writing up now. And so she's done some really beautiful work looking at um, kind of establishing the model in terms of an endothelialized um, in vitro model and quite a simple model. And and that's part of the point, because particularly a lot of our work has been funded by the NC3Rs. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously a key aim of the NC3Rs is that you you don't have impact unless you've got a model that people use. So we we could make the best model to replace animals. But if people don't use the model, then it's has no impact what's the point yeah (laughs) that's not replacing any animals um so yeah really simple model um 
which we've you know we've done lots of nice work showing how how the endothelium present regulates as you'd expect the thrombus formation and how if we alter it with different disease risk factors such as cigarette smoke or tnf alpha it can influence the thrombus formation as well as how effective antiplatelet drugs are mm-hmm. um so yeah hopefully we'll get that out the, you know out soon um but she's also looked at some of the importance of extracellular matrix proteins so often in obviously in animal models when when the blood vessels are damaged um we're looking at normally at young healthy animals yeah and we're looking at thrombus formation on the matrix that's exposed in young healthy animals when actually in a disease scenario in a human the matrix could be very very different so yeah yeah. nice work looking at um the difference in the matrix of healthy cells and cells stimulated with cardiovascular risk factors Mm -hmm. Um, oh wow yeah so so lots of nice model stuff it's just you know we, we need more people on it and, yeah uh, sounds busy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds uh, sounds like you've got a lot going on <laughs> yeah 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 more, more so, so my phd students but yeah well yeah and <laughs> <laughs> um, something we kind of like to touch on on in this area is kind of people's journey to, to where they are um mm. was um science something you were interested in from a young age or is it something you came into discovered later on <clears throat> You know, it's always, uh, I'm, I'm always reluctant of whether I tell students, particularly students in careers things this, because, um, you know, you, you try to encourage students to think about it early, their career paths and things. And, I, you know, I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, I got to sixth form and I obviously just picked, picked the subjects I was good at, so biology, yep. history. Um, and, and then... I, none of my family have been to university so I'm the first person in my family to go to university and it, so it just wasn't on my radar actually um, mm-hmm. and it was only kind of you know at the time, my boyfriend at the time was going to uni he was the year above so he went to Sheffield um, and then my friends were kind of were thinking about it and I thought oh I guess I better start applying for university you know oh what am I going to what am I going to apply for oh biology and chemistry biochemistry um so yeah I can't say it was a a distinct plan but then so I went to various open days and actually one of them I'd applied for was pharmacology and just immediately from that open day I was like this is this is what I want to do yeah I absolutely loved you know the concept of understanding how drugs work and understanding signaling pathways so you could you know logically develop new drugs based on disease pathology and uh, so I went to Sheffield and did my pharmacology degree, which, I, and then that, that I was, I think it was at that point, then I was sold, you know, yeah. uh, prior to that, I just had, you know, I was just a teenager loving life, doing, <laughs> yeah. not really thinking about the future. Um, so yeah, I loved it from when I did pharmacology, but I still, I don't know if it was a lack of awareness of career options. I still, at that point, wasn't sure yeah. what I was going to go into, um, I guess most people doing pharmacology either wanted to go on to medicine, uh, pharmaceutical company or um, research. Mm-hmm. So, and it was only really my third year project then that I just, that's where, I guess at an earlier stage in your degree, you don't really get exposed to research. No. No, you don't. <laughs> you, you do lab practicals, but it's not the same. You know? No, not at all. Um, so it's your third year project, uh, I think, where you just... That, that's where you kind of decide whether you, you yeah look. you can get a bit of a feel for what the lab is like if you were to absolutely. work there yeah yeah absolutely um 
so and I, do you know I'll take that forward now because I'm really passionate in my teaching about providing good final year projects yeah yeah because that's that was pivotal in my career progression yeah. and it takes mm -hmm. a massive amount of time and stresses me out majorly because <laughs> all I've done all morning has been with five students in the lab teaching them aggregations and doing you know aggregation curves and whatnot but I'm because it was so pivotal in my career choice I, I, I only feel it's fair that I give good lab projects that are in the research lab that you know that they're, they're doing good projects getting good experience of different techniques and mm -hmm. well, it sounds like you're aware of the value they can have right absolutely yeah. absolutely it's, it, it's a real opportunity I mean we have so many students now doing projects that we have to offer a range of different ones so some are just doing projects in the teaching lab so they're still not getting that research experience so I'm, I'm really keen to have them in our, our lab, do it, you know, using our equipment and working alongside people in our lab to mm -hmm. get real, you know, a real reflection of what research can be like. Yeah. Um, so was it during your uh, final year project then? Is that when you sort of thought, hmm, I would, I'd quite like to do a PhD or? Absolutely. And, um, <clears throat> but I mean, unfortunately, with the timing of final year projects, if, if you wait till you're doing that, you've almost missed the boat. A bit too like, late yeah. for that next year. Yeah. Um, luckily for me, I think um, the, the PhD that I got in Reading was, um, I think it had a named person on, who then by the time they found out they got it, they'd already got an alternative one, right. so it was advertised late, Yeah, it was just a blessing in disguise for me. Yeah, just walk into it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there was a lot Not of... Not quite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Um, so, and again, I, I mean, I didn't even know where Reading was at that point. Now I'm obviously very familiar with Reading. Yeah. <laughs> You know, all I knew was the music festival, so I had to kind of find out where it was. Um, a good reference point. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, so then I, so I did my PhD um, with John Gibbons. Um, and I was a British Heart Foundation um, PhD studentship, looking at um, neurokinins and then their role in platelet function and signalling, and which, I mean, I was totally drawn to it because in my pharmacology degree we did a lot of neuronal pharmacology and I, and I loved the hematology side it kind of was merging both of those yeah yeah, mix. yeah. <clears throat> yeah and, and absolutely loved that it was a great experience in John's lab you know it was a, a really good PhD experience a, a big a big well-funded lab with lots of expertise so, yeah you know, it can be a bit like a sponge taking in everyone's uh, experiences and expertise um and then yeah, then I got to the point where I do, do I go to America or do I do a postdoc in the UK? Um, and for, there was options in America, you know, and but I, the whole time um, I'd been with my partner from sixth form. Um, he, he stayed back at home because he had a permanent job. So there's no point in him giving up his permanent job to move with me. So um, he was not he was not moving to America. So I was I also got offered one at Imperial. So that kind of. I spent a week of uh, crying and trying to go, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, difficult decision. It was a really, really difficult decision. Um, but yeah, in the end, so I went to work with Mike Emerson at Imperial. Um, and that was a, that was an end. That was kind of my, where my um, kind of experience with the NC3R started, actually. So that was an NC3R's um, project mm -hmm. to develop um, a real-time um, in vivo model of thromboembolism. 
so that that was really good that was only an 18 month position um but yeah it was really good it was my first kind of experience of doing real in vivo experiments so i got, got my license and um working with the nc3rs was great um so yeah so i did a year and a half there um and still just loving doing the research um yeah do you like being in the lab i love being in the lab yeah. love being in the lab and and doing uh yeah, doing experiments. I'm very rusty right now. <laughs> As this morning demonstrated when I'm trying to show the students and I can't find anything. Or, um, But yeah, so I did that 18-month position, then moved to uh, University of Leicester to work with Martin Mayer-Smith, um, researching PTY, PTY1 and P2X1 crosstalk in platelets. Um, so that was another BHF-funded um, postdoc. So again, the whole time I've been moving around and my other half is still living in our hometown. Um, mm-hmm. So, which was great, you know, it, I really felt, I think it kept me a student for longer in that I was kind of like on my own all week doing what I wanted. And then he'd, mm-hmm. we'd see each other at weekends. Um, so, and, and that was, yeah, really, really good. But then after, when I finished in Leicester, that trying to do the maths now how long we'd been kind of apart so three or you know six seven years so quite a few years yeah. isn't it yeah. <laughs> and yeah so by that time I'm kind of like right and for us to you know settle down buy a house yeah we need to you know I, I needed to move I always wanted to go home like both our families are from Macclesfield you know near Manchester um you know still all, all my kind of core friends are there yeah. so it, it was silly to move elsewhere particularly if you you know you want a family you need support, you need support it takes yeah. a village <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. so yeah so after my time in Leicester I was um really kind of I thought all right this is that was that was a real tricky decision in that at that point there were no platelet um groups in the northwest like commutable from where I was where we wanted to live right <clears throat> so that was the that was kind of tough in like right do I do I leave the platelet field which now by that point I've been in it for quite a long time you know yeah, like yeah, new research wise um <clears throat> but yeah so I decided right we'll move home and I'll find another postdoc some hopefully something linked but um it, it was unlikely to be platelets so I, I, I didn't have a job for a, a few months while I moved home and I was applying um, but a, a postdoc came up at the University of Manchester, which is a British Heart Foundation one, and it was um, looking at uh, vas- vascular function in fetal growth restriction. Mm-hmm. And it was very much focused on endothelial dysfunction and the, the effects of flow on endothelial cells in, in pregnancy pathologies. So yeah. very much <clears throat> kind of nitric oxide prostacycline yeah. signaling. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is actually, it's vascular. A lot of the signaling mm-hmm. pathways are the same. Mm-hmm. And actually, I could bring something to the project. Yeah, definitely. That you know, that everyone in the department was maternal fetal health, so I was bringing a different side whilst also learning a lot. Yeah. Um. So I mean, it was I must admit, I was it was really really daunting when I started there doing these meet. The, the kind of lab meetings seemed quite official, and you were. <sighs> <clears throat> they, they, they kind of weren't, but there was clinicians there and things, and and. I, from kind of feeling like you know everything about platelets and you know the signaling pathways you understand what everyone's saying to all of a sudden I felt totally out of my depth giving yeah. a, giving a, a you know a, a love meeting when I thought these people know everything about the placenta and I, I can barely say the names of some of the cells <laughs> <laughs> never mind spell them so yeah but 
it, you know, it was really, 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 really great in terms of it gave me a lot broader outlook on things. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of clinical uh, connections in that time. And um, it, it totally opened me up more to vascular biology. And obviously that's yeah. where now I've brought in the endothelial side of it and, and endothelial function and dysfunction. Um, so that that turned out actually really good. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, learned an awful lot. And and then I was at home. So bonus. Yeah. Um, so then obviously then by that point I'd done. So I'd done a short postdoc in London and then two. I was kind of two postdocs after that. Mm-hmm. so I was obviously looking for a, a I did think about fellowships and I had wrote off when I was in Leicester to the Welcome Trust about one but they were kind of looked at and were like no well, we don't think now is the right time yeah um so, do you so, think it's important for people to go through fellowship or do you think that there are plenty of other options out there I think it, it depends so I so I'd previously kind of halfway through I think it was my time at Leicester I'd, I'd looked into this welcome one which was like an early welcome one then when I was at Manchester I'd looked um at Sheffield University they were running a scheme of like vice chancellor funded ones so I, I went to that and I was interviewed there um and got through the process but also I was applying for lectureships as well yeah um so then yeah so then two two years into my three-year postdoc at Manchester I got offered the senior lectureship position at Manchester Met um so yeah that was great so I'd I'd got to a point in that postdoc where it was kind of a nice bit finished and it left a year for someone else to then do kind of the next bit of it which was good and um yes on the uh, very steep learning curve of being (laughs) a lecturer (laughs) so what kind of what kind of what was the pull for wanting to go down the lecturing routes compared to <clears throat> postdoc and, and primarily like research or fellowship? So I think there's only so long you can postdoc for, you know, you, you get yeah you get more more expensive and when you've got a mortgage and having children, living on three-year contracts becomes kind of unsustainable. Yeah. <clears throat> or, 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 you know, stress, stressful at the least. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, so that's kind of um yeah and I, I was like all right I need to go to the next level and that's either fellowship so I was applying for both really um but uh, kind of having a fellowship you need again you need to be in the right environment yes and again still at that point there wasn't any plate plate litty fit it was it would have been a, a difficult fit for my fellowship to kind of fit into the existing um kind of cardiovascular environments in right places that are commutable so Manchester yeah. and Liverpool yeah um she- Sheffield would have been okay um and like I said I did, did get interviewed there and got to the final stage but then unfortunately didn't get through um but yeah so I guess it wasn't I would have been happy with either I think yeah the, the, the key and it's just you know whatever came I had to um mortgage to pay and I wanted to put you know yeah. I mean I guess the bonusship of a lectureship is that it's permanent so fellowship yeah. secure yeah is yeah um and yeah you know you know I, I would like to spend more time doing research and less time doing teaching but then the, the teaching can be rewarding and it it does again because you're teaching on broader areas it, it is quite useful um 
you know, mm-hmm. I do do a lot more coagulation, which I kind of sometimes as platelet people forget about coag and go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do forget. It keeps me broader. I, I like to think so. Did you get a chance to do any teaching um, as a postdoc, or was it all kind of new when you started your lectureship? Um, so when I was, I think it's also long ago. <laughs> so <laughs> as I, obviously, a PhD student, you get the opportunity to help out demonstrating. So yeah practicals and, and obviously in all of the positions you end up supervising project students. Um, at Leicester that they um, I did some uh, tutorials so I was a t- personal tutee and they had a really good tutorial scheme there so that was quite a good uh, introduction uh, to teaching um, and then when I was at Manchester again they ran another scheme so I joined that which was really useful and gave me um, a lot of the things that I did in, in that um, were really useful for the interview, for giving examples of, right. you know, you know, often in, in um, interviews, I'll ask you for, to give a scenario, give an example when you've done this, having, having the opportunity to be involved in those kind of schemes gave me those examples that I needed right. for my, lecture, for my inter, uh, interviews. Yeah. Um, and then master, so they, they ran quite a good MRes course at, um, at Manchester, um, which which I helped a lot out on kind of some of the training courses for that. So again, I think it's really important to get. I don't think it's necessary to get lots of prior teaching experience. It, I think it's important to get diverse teaching experience. Right. Yeah. So being able to say yes, I've done small group teaching. Yes, I've done a lecture. Yes, I've you know, a supervised student has been able to say, oh, you've done, you've got experience doing each of those things, even if it's not extensive, it's, you've got examples of different scenarios then, I think. If anyone was kind of in the early stage of their career, um, what kind of advice would you give them if they wanted to gain more teaching experience? Um, I'd ask, I mean, I'd ask their supervisor. The supervisor is obviously a good place to start and you, you need your supervisor on board to, yeah. um, you know, to, to be happy with you you're yeah, doing yeah. that, which most are. And also kind of a lot, a lot of supervisors are, are probably, or a lot of academics are probably keen to lose some of their teaching. So <laughs> if, you know, if, if you're willing to do it and you're happy to give like a tutorial or... Um, I don't know where it stands on lectures, whether PhD students can give lectures, but um, there's certain aspects though. So so some of our lectures, we try and get um, kind of PhD students involved. So if we've got a particular lecture that's on skills and and, and research, we'll get some of our PhD students to come in and and tell them. So again, it's kind of classed as lecturing. You've been involved in a lecture. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's more comfortable then because they're actually teaching about their you know you're yeah. talking about your own research rather than trying to teach them you know some random biochemistry or <laughs> yeah it kind of like dips the toe in a little bit yeah. before kind of yeah yeah a bit of a taster really doesn't yeah. it yeah yeah but, but but looks good on you you know you can say yeah. I've given a lecture for level four or level five or yeah yeah is there anything that you're particularly proud of over the course of your kind of career journey, Sarah? Anything that stands out? Um, Not to put you on the spot. No, I don't think. <laughs> like my whole journey or... 
I don't know. Everything just springs to mind like recently in terms of kind of like the engagement of student, you know, mm-hmm. students. So hearing about your research really engages students in terms yeah. of kind of what they want to go on. So a lot of the students that have done them projects in my lab have then gone on to do kind of masters, PhD, you know, keen to stay in that kind of field, yeah. a flavor for it. So that's always nice that you've not put them off and you've given them a good experience. Yeah, I think that's that's a great answer. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, that's the more recent ones. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, all, I must say, I've, every position I've had, I've loved. I've found it. You know, each project that I've worked on has been brilliant, and I've thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And we've got good papers out from them. Um, a lot of that is um good supervisors I've been very very lucky and that everyone that I've worked with has been incredibly supportive incredibly nice mm-hmm. um, and I've always had a good experience and, I, and I'm yeah. totally aware that that's not always the same for people um, so it's something I massively appreciate is how good um, how good all, all my supervisors have been um, and again that, that always reflects on me so I'm always you know trying to make sure that I'm a good supervisor and yeah. that, and yeah. you know that our team are happy and that you know everyone feels like they're getting the support they need so yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think we're achieving that so there's a good group of us here at Manchester Met and um and I think we have a, a good happy lab <laughs> good that's that's good I yeah that sounds great um in terms of your in in terms of all of your kind of career journey and I know you've had a really kind of positive experience throughout, which is, is really great to hear because you often, people often only talk about the negative. So it's yeah. nice to actually see such a positive experience. Would you say that there was a particular stage in your career that was the best or your fate, your like favorite stage? Have you got anything that springs to mind there? Um, I loved my PhD. I think it it's all been different because I've moved about a bit so yeah. each time it's so from Reading, London, Leicester and then back home it's um it's always been like a new place, new city um I think I don't know each time has, has been it's always for me it's about people so yeah you know life is about people isn't it and each time I've been incredibly lucky that both lab people and then people outside the lab when every time I've moved to a new city I've always found a good group of friends you know to go to pub quizzes with and 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 in each of those I mean I think I've been really lucky here in that I've always moved in with randoms (laughs) so (laughs) because my other half has been at home the whole time so I need kind of somewhere relatively to live and yeah. Um, so I've just moved into shared houses which which is always a risk isn't it it is a risk well I'm pleased it all kind of worked out though because it, it, it's well, great to hear the positive side yeah. of it I think the only time it went wrong was when I moved in with someone I knew <laughs> well yeah I guess sometimes yeah. it's better not yeah. to um... well, small doses I found out was good but living together not so good <laughs> yeah yeah it can happen so based yeah. on some of the stuff that you just said about um you know connecting with different people mm-hmm. and, and and your experience with different people um what kind of stuff do you you do during the early stages of your career or even now that helps you kind of wind down from work in terms of work like work-life balance you mentioned pub quizzes and things like that yeah um what what do I do personally yeah to wind down oh 
well that yeah that, that's that's changed massively over the, the time um so yeah previously it was you know with either people in the lab or or housemates and things quizzes or playing squash or um you know doing various things like that going to the cinema and things now life's very different with two small children in that <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure going home from work is unwinding <laughs> 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 going home to two crying children it's like oh take me to work <laughs> yes <laughs> it's not all bad but yeah it's uh, it's you know it's totally different from the early days of your phd and postdoc to then you know being a bit more grown up and having uh, children and marking and <laughs> but you know not in a bad way in a different way like yeah. you know, life is very different um but yeah, I think it's good to have, you know, have good colleagues that you can call your friends and do things with, you know, outside of work, but also have other, you know, other activities so that you are, you're not always involved in work and around yeah. people from work. Yeah. I think you need that escape. So you... Yeah, a bit of mental distance from it. Well, absolutely, because yeah. even when you go, you know... Well, scientists like talking science so even when we are at the pub or doing whatever you, you tend to just start talking definitely science. yeah <laughs> so, it's hard not yeah, to yeah good, good to have non-science friends I think yeah <laughs> definitely yeah I I I'm so here for that I've got a lot of friends that are not scientists and it's, it is it is refreshing obviously it's great when you do hang yeah. out with fellow scientists and have no, those yeah, yeah. interesting conversations but uh yeah sometimes you do need the switch off and just yeah. be you rather than like the scientist version of you yeah there's a whole other world out there <laughs> yeah um so obviously say it sounds like you've had a really good kind of lots of good experiences on your way to, to where you are now um however we're kind of aware that a lot of times stuff doesn't always go to plan and mm -hmm. I am putting you on the spot a little bit here but have you had any notable lab mistakes oh yeah loads loads <laughs> you know who doesn't make mistakes um do you know the, the the probably one that springs to mind is one from a long long time ago so um, my first week as a PhD student and um so you know in, in the lab training so one of the first things you do is learn to make up tie roads mm -hmm. so you know got the tie roads recipe made up my tie roads and then you get shown how to make wash platelets um and they're just aggregating and they're like oh let me watch you pipette are you pipetting too rough you know no no no, you're petting okay. Why did these platelets keep aggregating? So then someone um, was like, oh, let's make up the tie roads again. So th they were making it up and I was watching them. Oh, I'm sure that was pink when I added it. And it uh, turns out <laughs> instead of adding magnesium chloride, I'd added man manganese chloride. Oh, right. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. From <laughs> so it was the tie roads making my uh, platelets aggregate because I'd added manganese chloride instead of magnesium. That, Interesting that, to know. Yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely never made that mistake again. <laughs> it stuck with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. Is that something that you hone in on when teaching students in the yeah. lab? Like, this is check, check the label. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be pink. <laughs> If it's pink it's wrong <laughs> yeah. yeah so that definitely but yeah I mean it's part of being a scientist isn't it making mistakes absolutely um, yeah it's it's I think it's something that can be a bit difficult for people to deal with actually the fact that yeah. you're going to make mistakes and there's going to be a lot of failures um yeah. and I suppose another question would be how would you say that you deal with failure in the lab in in the lab it can just be frustrating I think I think you've got you know, 
as a scientist, you've got to accept that things don't always work. And that's either, you know, through mistakes or your experiment not working or not the right conditions, or, you know, your, your, your hypothesis wasn't correct. And, and both of those things, you've got to, you know, accept they both happen. We, we, you're testing something, hopefully, objectively to, to answer a question. And the answer is the answer, whether it's yeah. you want it or not. Um, yeah, that, that's, that can be frustrating. Nowadays, what I find more, more frustrating, I think what we kind of have to get used to is the failure in terms of grants. So writing yeah. grants, getting grants yeah. and papers rejected when you've put so much time and effort in and, you know, sacrifice a lot of family time to get these grants done. And then you, you think you've done a good job and then you come, you know, it comes back and it's been unsuccessful. And that's, that's, that's can be quite hard just because of the amount of work that has gone into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, you just have to think, well, it's not it's not work wasted. You can reword it, re, you know, turn it around, submit somewhere else or resubmit. So I think you've got to just you know, have your little meltdown and then bounce back. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe try and learn something from it as well. Like yeah. why didn't it get accepted kind of thing? Well, absolutely. I mean, in the end, m most review, you know, most reviewers' comments have valid points or suggestions that then actually, in yeah. the end of the day, you, you, it does improve your grant and you, you do have a have a better project. So, yeah, you just have to, yeah, have to take that on board and, yeah, get over right. it. But, yeah. but again, that's another steep learning curve when you, you know, they do, and, and especially the earlier on, you know, your first few grants take a long time writing them. Mm -hmm. And then to put all of that in and, and then not get it is quite disheartening. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know again all part and parcel of it, and you you kind of get a bit more used to it and bounce back a bit quicker the next time. <laughs> do you think that that's just something that you kind of learn over time, or do you think maybe it's just down to individuals being able to people that pursue science are just more likely to be able to handle that kind of thing, or do you think it's just because the exposure of failure or grants rejected or whatever makes you a little bit desensitized to it Probably a bit of both so, yeah, yeah you, you get used to it and then you know you know the next time you might not take it as personally but but I think also that's the key is not to take it personally yeah. it's not personal it feels personal sometimes <laughs> um, because you've you know put so much into it but it's you know it's not and it's you know hopefully the reviewers comments are there to to improve it and they are constructive and and will help you then hopefully get it the next time would you say for anyone um wanting to pursue a similar career path to you would you have any advice for them or would you give or what would you say to your younger self if they were starting out now i think to get to get involved with things a little bit more i guess i i didn't um kind of I think there's a lot of things now with societies that you can get involved with, like you guys do, um, outreach, um, you know, be, being involved with things at an earlier stage, I think helps you because it gets your name known. You know, at the end of the day, people reviewing your grants, reviewing your papers, are people often in the, in the field. Yeah. And I think it really helps if you expand your network and know a lot of the people. One, one they can be good collaborators. Yeah. Um, but even if they're not and they know your work and they respect your work, it, it's, it's not going to do any harm, is it, if they're the people re reviewing your grants and papers? 
Um, so, I, I mean, I think certainly the Platelet Society is doing loads in helping more exposure of early careers, yeah. really different opportunities, being on a committee, being part of outreach, being uh, getting involved. But again, there's loads of other societies as well that can help that. Um, so I think, yeah, when I, through my earlier days, I kind of loved my PhD and did my PhD, but I didn't get too involved in much else extra. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if that's because it wasn't, it wasn't as easy and wasn't available or just because I wasn't looking, I don't know. Um, but so certainly I think getting involved um, at an earlier stage um, helps you in terms of your exposure. I think, I think maybe as well during the pitch, you can get a bit of tunnel vision, like just really focused on the project yeah. itself yeah. and not look outside. And I think there's probably an aspect of that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and that's, that's not always a good thing as well when you're so yeah. consumed with your project because then <laughs> because as you all, I'm sure, all know PhDs often you've got the peaks and troughs absolutely and if yeah if you're so tunnel visioned and so kind of all you've got is your PhD then those those troughs are a lot deeper yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. yeah definitely yeah yeah so that's yeah one thing I kind of wish I'd maybe got you know, got involved a bit more in, in ex extracurricular type things, I guess. Yeah. You mentioned um, missing out on family time and stuff. Do you, how do you balance like being a parent and being in like an associate professor role? Uh, honest answer, I'm still learning. <laughs> uh, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's hard, um, especially if your children don't sleep very well, like mine don't. Oh, no. Um, but you, you've just you've just got to make you've got to be more organized you've got to make time and you've got to time that you have put aside as family time you need to stick to that I think uh -huh. <clears throat> because it is important um yeah. you know you, children are only children for a short amount of time <laughs> and you don't want to miss out on that absolutely um, so I, I, th I think it is hard but you, you can do it it's possible um, it just means managing your time, being efficient and be, and also being a bit more savvy with what you say yes to and kind of, <clears throat> you know, I was on a training course, like a leadership training course, and a guy said, you know, saying yes to something is saying no to something else. You know, you only got a finite amount of time. Yeah. So everything that you're saying yes to do, you are saying no to something else. Mm. So do think carefully about what you're saying yes to, because you might, you might not appreciate it at the time, but you, 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 you know, time is stretched and time is precious. And, yeah. and uh, you, you can end up doing a lot of things that aren't any value to you or you don't enjoy either. And I think you've got to think, well, why am I doing that? Yeah. <laughs> if I don't particularly enjoy it and I'm not getting any value out of it, then what, why am I doing that when I could be doing something better with my time? Um, so I think that's an important thing. I do have to tell myself that sometimes because it's quite, you know, when you're a, a team player and you want to help people out and people say, oh, yeah. can you do this and you do that? And you, you want yeah. to help people. So, yeah. oh, yeah, yes, you know, but then that's like, well, actually, no, that means I'm going to be in work late and then I'll miss kids' bedtime. So, yeah, yeah. should I be doing that? No, it's very yeah, easy to it, overcommit. It is. Of, yeah. and, I, and I think that's, yeah, one of the things of being a, a parent is you get a bit more savvy and you get a bit more, I don't know, you get a bit more capable of saying no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't have a choice. I feel like sometimes we do, like, 
during PhD, I think we, gosh, we say yes to so many things sometimes. And you just think, why did I do that? That was just not, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it not fun. It wasn't time. worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially if everything falls all at the same time and you're just like, oh no, what have I done? Past me yeah. was not good to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, it sounds like a definite time management enterprise to make sure that everything yeah. is yeah. all right yeah I'm not always the winner at that one but yeah <laughs> well I guess you've got to try you know you win some you lose some don't you but exactly, exactly. Yeah. so another part of this uh podcast is we do kind of a quick fire round where we ask our guests a couple of very quick questions and you just answer which one you prefer so first up we've got tea or coffee tea tea oh nice um <laughs> and then mac versus windows oh uh windows yeah <clears throat> lab or office but i'm also going to throw in teaching in here as well um no definitely definitely lab yeah although yeah yeah definitely lab <laughs> And then the last one, just because the Platelet Society seems to be known for lots of people enjoying both of these sports, running or cycling. Oh, neither. I do kind that's, of box, box That's absolutely that fair. CrossFit. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely fine. I think that might be the first tea that we've had. I think everyone else has been coffee. I know, really? but I'm so here for it. Yeah. I'm like, yes. Yeah, I prefer tea. I'm, a tea, I'm definitely a tea drink. I didn't even like coffee until I had children and then coffee was a necessity that I had <laughs> liking. So I can only really drink lattes. I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to coffee. <laughs> but it's it's like a fuel purpose. Yeah. Though, right. It's <laughs> it has its purpose rather than an enjoyable drink. Yes. But yeah. tea, tea all day long. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I totally feel that. <laughs> So thank you so much for listening and a huge thank you to our guest, Sarah. Um, thank you so much for chatting with us. It's been really great learning about your career journey and how you transitioned into teaching and some of your lab mistakes, which are nice and fun to hear about. We've all been there. Please stay tuned for our next part of this episode with Sarah, where we talk about all of her engagement activities and how to get involved in public engagement. And if you don't follow us on social media, then please do at Playlist Society and stay tuned for our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Bye.